Good morning. As we gather together, we invite you to come before our God just as you are. From wherever it is that you are coming from this week or this day, we invite you to step into the presence of God. Welcome. Come, join us as we climb the mountain of God. Please stand. Go to a place that is pure to learn about love and wipe away tears. He'll melt swords of steel and hearts made of stone. He'll set prisoners free and give strangers a home. So come, come as you are. Oh, come from near and far. Oh, come, salvation will take. participating in the church building or online at home. Children of God, welcome. Welcome to a place of love and grace. Welcome to a place of hope and perseverance. The Spirit of God invites all to worship the Creator at this time and in our places, which dwell on Treaty 1 territory, the ancestral lands of the Métis Nation, the Dakota, the Cree, the Ochi Cree, the Dene, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe. And now for the life of the congregation, I'd invite Mel. Just a 
couple of things I'd like you to note if you uh, take your insert. You can see a note there about Daniel and Damaris Lowen Rogers, whom some of you know. Um, when they've come other years, um, after they you know, hear about every two years from Kenya, um, they request if we have any uh, way of helping them in ways that they need. So if you take a look at that, um, and if you could help them in the ways they're wondering about, that would uh, really be appreciated and great. Also, um, pastorally speaking, our condolences to uh, Tom and Loretta and their family. Um, Tom's sister Jess passed away um, recently and the funeral was this past week, so you can pray for them. And we want to celebrate with Heidi and Joel on the birth of Anna, their second daughter. Um, they're all at home and um, everything's going well, so we're happy with and for them. Also, as noted in the bulletin, today we are having the second of our two-part series on how to have difficult conversations as part of our uh, adult formation right after the service. Um, our guest this morning is Joanna Hebert Bergen uh, from MCC. Uh, some of you know her and she has been here before, so there is some familiarity there. Uh, the topic last week was about how to have difficult conversations, was about how we think uh, cognitively, how we verbalize our thoughts. Uh, today's topic will be more about <clears throat> how stress manifests itself in our bodies uh, emotionally during these difficult conversations. Excuse me. <clears throat> we will try to start uh, promptly at 11 o'clock and a reminder that it goes for an hour and a half until 12.30. So when you hear the bell ringing in the lobby, we are about to begin. Thank you. Good morning. I'm the uh, pick up and walk coordinator for the Grace Mennonite Church, and uh, which is next weekend, hopefully. Pretty appropriate, the umbrellas. Uh, so we'll see uh, if it's gonna go on, we'll uh, no, later on in the week, I'm thinking, and uh, you can check Steinbeck online and they'll pretty much tell you if it's going to happen or not. So it's a collection of all, most of the churches, a lot of the churches in Steinbeck that gather at the, the um, T.G. Smith Arena and about 1,200 people each year uh, join in and, and fan out a mile on either side of the city and in two and a half hours the city is spotless and they pick up between five and eight tons of garbage each year. So there's a sign-up sheet in the back. There's six people signed up so far, and if you're willing and able uh, to pick up, uh, then uh, sign up on the sheet. There's uh, service, also barbecuing, and there's truck drivers. There's one truck driver. If you're a truck driver, you need to have two people in the truck, and if you're service people, uh, you need to be there around 10 o'clock uh, the rest of the, the pickup people need to be there around 8.30, uh, uh, quarter to nine, and you will be supplied with um, uh, garbage bags and uh, gloves, disposable gloves, wear the appropriate um, um, uh, footwear. Uh, we're not sure if it's uh, gonna be wet or not, so uh, we welcome everyone to attend. It's a community thing, it's wonderful. It's uh, from Steinbeck, it's spread out right across the nation, I hear. And uh, Paul Dick gets phone calls from uh, cities and towns uh, from all across Canada and even in the States. So it's a wonderful thing that happens. So uh, join us. Some of the other um, 
upcoming events at Grace, Little Bits of Grace will resume the coffee morning, and that's outdoors at the Jacob Library Park. That's on Wednesday, May the 4th, 10 to 12. And Stories with Seniors is an online Zoom event. That's on Thursday, May the 5th. And, that's, and if you want any more information, it's in the church bulletin. And for a call to worship, we gather today to worship the one who created us, the one who calls us, the one who equips us, the one who loves us without end. Friends, we know what God desires of us, that we do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. We gather this morning to remind each other about that, to remember that now is always the right time to do these things. With thanks in our hearts and with joyful hearts, let us worship God. Number 420 in Voices Together, God of the Bible. Please stand and join us. contemplative prayer is from Psalm 46. 
you can just be relaxed. You can put your hands before you and just contemplate on what God's saying. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Be still. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am God. And now for a time of prayer and session for our congregation. We pray for the congregation who are in care homes, and we remember Marie Dick, Abe Friesen, Shirley Joy, Linda Martins, Martha Plett, Christine Putz, and Irene Rempel. Our prayer for the week is Lord, continue to show us your hopes for the world and teach us how Jesus fulfills these hopes. And we pray for the peace of the world. Pray for peace in Ukraine. Pray for the people in U of Ukraine as they live through an ongoing violence. Amen. Ask the children to come forward for the children's time, if you'd like, wherever you are. As I said, if anybody else wants to come up, you can come sit on the floor, too. That's up to you. Am I on here? Good. Hi, everybody. Well, how many of you were here last week? Yeah? Okay. You know what? I am doing this thing again because I find that probably your mom and dad or anybody, your teachers, they probably only always have to tell you things once and you remember always, right? Is that how it works? No, no. So I am going to tell you again what we're doing with what do we call this? Anybody remember the name? I'm going to try and get everybody to be able to answer something. Um, go ahead. Coins count. Now, this is how it works. People are going to put in a coin, right? But you know what? We have one coin. Our government does good things, usually. 
was not going to say sometimes, I said usually. And so they are going to add four coins to every coin that we put in. And then somebody in our church said, and they would put in another four coins for everything that gets put in. So for one that we give or that you give, another eight coins get put into here. So what we do is we take these coins and what do we do with them? We go out there, do we collect them? Is that what we do? Okay, we give you a cup, right? And you collect the coins, and then what happens? We put them in there. We put them in there. You like the sound? That's a great sound. Okay, then what happens? Do you remember? Then this is the money that gets taken, and it gets given to farmers. And we have some farmers in our congregation, and they grow fields with the money that we give them. So what are these plants? Do you remember what these are? Anybody, a, a table person I've asked, who have I not asked here? Evan. Peppers and tomatoes. Peppers and tomatoes. Okay, so probably that's not what the farmers are growing. But they grow a crop, and then they harvest it, which means they get all the wheat from it, or the canola, or whatever they grow, and they sell, yeah, or they, barley. They, you're the farmer, Evan. You know all about this stuff. Yes, I know yeah, you do. I know. So then the farmer sells it, and all the money gets given to Canadian Foods Grains Bank, and then what happens? It gets given to those who are food insecure. Do you know what the word insecure means? I've got to ask somebody who I haven't asked yet. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Those who don't have the food that they need for every day, right? So that food is given, and I mean the money's given, and food can be purchased from local places where they live, and then food can be given to those who are needing that food because they're food insecure. So all the coins that we're collecting is really good because it's going to end up as food on someone's table who needs that food. So what we're going to do now, a ladybug. Oh my goodness. Take a look, everybody. Oh, this is good. Oh, man. So tiny. Wow. It's a baby ladybug, might be. It looks like an adult. Yeah. It's stuck. <laughs> well, anyway. No, it's not. I hope not. We'll see if it's on there next week, and then we'll know which it was, right? Okay, we'll all be coming back to look for the ladybug next week? Okay. Good. Okay, what we're going to do is, now I think I'm going to um, have, give you all a cup. So Evan, can you start handing out, and can you guys, everybody take a cup, okay? We're going to need to go down all the aisles to collect coins while the congregation is singing, so everybody wait. Don't go yet, just wait. Jude, could you do me a favor? Could you be the one who take, sits with this funnel at the tub today, and when the coins come, everybody can put them in? Could you do that? Thank you. Now, and if there's coins, we'll put you right there, Jude. So everybody, you're going to come with the coins and you're going to funnel them in. Jude, if there are bills in there, like if they have uh, like dollar bills, those just get put in here, okay? Because they're hard to get out from there. Okay, everybody, just wait. Got to hold on for a minute. Got to hold on. One thing at a time. Congregation's going to join us. Now, I'm going to need make sure that all the aisles get covered. So a few of you come down here, a few go down the middle, and a few go down the other side. Uh, yeah, go upstairs too. They have lots of money up there. <laughs> I want you to tell us how much, okay, when you go up? Okay, here we go. We know how to sing it. Everybody, away you go. Okay, you go ahead, you guys. You want to go look and see if you can find coins? Here, you follow, you follow this guy, okay? Pierce is going to show you what happens, okay? You go with them, okay? There you go. Okay. 
They're going to collect the coins. Here we go. My coins count. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, I sing and you give the echo. You ready? Here we go. My coins count. My coins count. Sitting in my pocket. My coins count. My coins count. God will make it. If we look around, there are people that we see Needing food and water and a chance to live in peace We can make a difference in the world My coins count, coins count, sitting in my pocket when doing good My coins count, my coins count, God will make a difference The gifts that we are given, they are given to be shared. Doesn't matter if they're big or small, if used with care. My coins count, my coins count. Sitting in my pocket when they could be doing good. My coins count, my coins count. God will make it. When we work together, there's a lot we can achieve. Witnessing to others as we live what we believe, we can make a difference in the world. My coins count, my coins count. Sitting in my pocket when they could be doing good. My coins count, my coins count. God will make a difference in the world. My coins count, my coins count. Sitting in my pocket when they could be doing good. My coins count, my coins count. God will make a difference in the If there are any kids left in the sanctuary, there is children's church if you want to go. There we go. Okay. Uh, number 540 in Voices Together. Uh, will you come and follow me? Please stand and join us. Verses 1, 2, 4, and 
That was a good song. I don't know if we sung that one before. So that was, that was really meaningful. That was a really good. And fits, I think, this morning too with um, what we're talking about. That is, what is the meaning of life? Or maybe, what do we live for? What do we want to see? And how do we live so as to see that meaning come to be? Those are big questions. Too big for a Sunday morning, maybe, or they are too big for a monologue. They need a conversation, a dialogue. They, maybe they're too big for me. Personally, at this time of year, life will have meaning if I see the Toronto Maple Leafs win just one round in the playoffs. I know that most of us can't take the Toronto Maple Leafs seriously. Some of you probably don't even know who they are, but my dad passed that on to me. John and Karen, who are here today, um, when we get in conversations that are too deep, we've always uh, sort of paraphrased it, or I mean bridged it by saying, so how about those leaves? Then you can just start laughing. Is life about me having meaning when I live for my good experiences and opportunities and education and job and health? Is life about those I love? having meaning when I pour myself into my family and my friends and grandkids and great-grandkids? Is it about a wider world, having meaning when trying to work for the good of all people, big causes? And might it be more about being and becoming sometimes than doing? Of course, we're not supposed to say that it's about me, because that feels kind of self-centered, doesn't it? Though it's probably a bit of that. We likely say that it's about those we love, and I see that being played out so often, so beautifully by all of you. We might say that it's about the wider world and those living in it, though how exactly to be involved in it all can be pretty overwhelming. It's likely a bit of everything. Related to that would be asking, related to that story would be asking, where do we look for the answers to those questions, big questions? Do we look for them from those promoting secure financial futures, for example? Or do we look to those who are urging education and salary and houses and cars and subsequent pleasures that we have with financial futures? Is it peer pressure obliging us to do more and and bigger always for our children and our grandchildren? Is it letters from umpteen organizations telling us how our donations could and, and would change the world if only we'd give just a bit more? Is it the church, our faith tradition, Jesus, the Bible. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing 
threats and murder against the disciples in Jerusalem. And he went to the high priest asking for letters to take to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there that belonged to the way, be they men or women, they could be brought bound to Jerusalem. So as he was going and approaching Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came back, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and I will tell you what you are to do. Now those who were traveling with Saul, they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were open, he could not see, so they led him by the hand and he was brought into, into Damascus. Then for three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord came to him in the vision and said, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Go to the street called Straight. And in the house of Judas, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he's praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he will regain his sight. But Ananias said to the Lord, I've heard a lot about this man from many people and the evil that he has done to your disciples in Jerusalem. And he's even here so that he might bring back bound those who are invoking your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, No, go, for he is an instrument that I have chosen. He will bring my name before Gentiles and kings, even before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he needs to suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, and he entered the house. And he laid his hands on Saul, and then he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on your way here has sent me, so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he could gain his sight. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And after staying with the disciples in Damascus for a short while, he began to enter the synagogues and preach that Jesus is the Son of God. We might not see this story as a wondering about these questions, life questions. It is, after all, a Bible story about Saul and Jesus, Miraculous revelation and change. It's, it's spiritual, not secular. It's, it's out there, not in here. But according to English theologian N.T. Wright, from whom I'm borrowing some thoughts this morning, today's story was all about these questions. Judaism, his religion in Saul's time, he says was not religion. It was not religious practices as we might describe those, going to church and all the things we do. Rather, it was activity and consisted of God-related activities in the midst of politics and community life, 
all that held a culture and society and divine divinities together, secular, daily life, and spiritual, that which drove it, lived together. There was no separation as we understand it now. Lived together in a story that Saul lived by. In that story, humanity had been placed in God's good creation. But disobedience had led to an expulsion from that home. Yet through the Jews, God was going to restore all things and and create and recreate it again, a new earth. That larger spiritual story of all things being good, problems happening, people being changed, and God bringing restoration was continually played out in the actual physical day-to-day story, year-to-year story of the Jews, Saul's people was formalized in a book of Deuteronomy in which when entering the promised land after escaping Egypt and wandering in the desert for 40 years, the people were told that if you would obey God, everything will be good. But if you disobey God, it won't be. They were to obey, and obedience meant sacrifice and worship at the temple and to obey the law that they had been given by God. Well, they did enter the home, the promised land, with that promise, and they enjoyed a good life for numbers of years. If you remember King David and Solomon, kings that we might remember or stories we might remember. But then they were conquered and taken into exile, and their temple and city were destroyed. That was interpreted that it had happened because of their disobedience to God. They did return after exile from 70 years to rebuild a temple in the city, though never to the glorious heights that they had known before. And so subsequently, many likely believed that they were still in exile and they would only wait and wait until God would finally restore them along with the whole earth to the former glory that they had known that the prophet Isaiah had written about. So they waited and they watched expectantly for messiahs and saviors and as they did they acted and their actions were the keys to bringing about god's blessing worship god and obey the law ensuring those actions so that god's new earth would come that was saul's life the meaning of life what he wanted to do was see was god's new creation and the way to live it was temple and law so that that was going to happen. But then, Jesus didn't do temple and law, didn't do tradition in the same way. He said he was the temple. Heaven and earth met in him. For Saul, the long-held hopes of God's intervention in life depended on what they had done until now. Jesus and his subsequent followers' different ways threatened that future. So he resorted to stamping them out as other Old Testament heroes had done. You might, for example, remember the story of Elijah the prophet who had the struggle with the prophets of Baal on a mountain. He won, God won, and he killed those prophets up on the mountain. Another man named Phineas had gone in and killed a woman who had, a man who had taken a foreign wife because they were not supposed to intermarry because there was a threat that they would then receive the gods of the people that they married. Saul's violence, it had predecessors. It was sanctioned. It was how it was done. But then, in the middle of the rampage, zealous for God's name, he is interrupted by Jesus. Maybe, likely, not something that just happened in one moment on that road, but in a longer process of wondering. And something changed. 
not his expectation of God's plans for a new creation. That was still a belief in what God would do. And not in another world, but in his real time and place world. Metaphorically, as Isaiah had written, the lion lying down with the lamb, all people streaming to the mountain of God as we sang this morning. What would be different now, though, was how that new creation would be realized. It was no longer going to be temple and law and zealous violence to ensure God's coming. It would be Jesus. God's new world would still be what he lived for and what he wanted to see. Jesus and Jesus' way would now become how it would come to be. A few weeks ago, I agreed to speak with Michelle Sawatsky about Easter. A safe phone call, I thought. Our conversation would be on her morning show, for those of you who know Michelle and live around here. No one's really up and listening at that time of the day anyway. And if they are, they're all half asleep and the radio is just white noise, so it was all going to go unnoticed. Then, to my chagrin, I soon heard of an article on Steinbeck Online with the heading, Easter, it's the meaning of life weekend, says Steinbeck pastor. I said that? (laughs) I wondered if maybe she'd interviewed another one after she talked with me. I knew now that that's why I let Kyle do this stuff. I don't know. If you're going to get a headline, even if it's only local, you kind of want to know exactly what it was you said, and you kind of want to know or sound like anyway, you think you know what you're talking about. Flippancy aside, though, while I'm not sure I wanted my words as a headline on that weekend, I did mean what I said. I think the life and words and death and resurrection of Jesus, faith and religion, speak to meaning of life questions. Something I think we miss sometimes, all of us. On the one hand, for example, some of us give them no more substance than assurance of what happens after life, bringing us to God so that we can die peacefully at the end. And then, discarding the fear and anxiety around death and afterlife of medieval questions we that no one's then asking any longer. We do, after all, now live long lives and we have very scientific approaches to everything. Society at large simply hits the delete button on Jesus and faith and religion, often. On the other hand, when contemporary questions are asked, climate change, race relations, sexuality, all the conversations that we have to have which are difficult, as we'll be talking about again in formation, and when those are asked, we often don't give Jesus a whole lot more airtime. actually. Oh, Jesus is good but hardly essential or central. We know what the problems are, what life is about. We know what's right. We have resources, and so we can fix things. Sometimes it almost seems as if, be it death or life, the depth of Jesus is left, I don't know, undiscovered or ignored or not looked for. Yesterday I attended, live stream, the funeral of Werner Priest's father. Werner and Karen are here this morning. He was born in the Ukraine and fled west with his family in front of the Russian army in 1943, eventually immigrating to Paraguay and then coming to Canada, a story that's being repeated in our times. 
His family told a story of how much that had impacted his life. Poverty, hunger, death all around him as a young person had made him someone who didn't believe as much in words as in actions which proved the truth of those words. So, he used his finances and energy to help people who needed to help as he had once needed it. He wanted his children to get an education that he had been denied so that they could do these things. He was very involved in his church and actions of faith that it spawned. It was part of his life. But hearing it, anyways, it it seemed to me as if it was not only uh, part of his life, it was his life. Werner told me a story the other day, maybe reflected on that a little bit. Growing up, he'd always had to go to church. One Sunday, he'd wanted to go fishing instead. So either with or without their father's blessing, they'd gone fishing. They'd fished all day, and they didn't catch anything. So when they got home that evening, they told their dad about the day, and in German, he'd said something to the effect, I don't speak German, sorry, I can't do that. If you'd have only gone on Saturday, you caught all you would have needed. Yeah. You went on the Lord's day. That's the problem. God first, fun second. It's not always good, nor always that simple, I know. But throughout the funeral, from the scripture to the sharing of his life and what made him tick, to the songs which were favorites and special, his faith and trust in Jesus were spoken of so often, as if all he did and was was grounded in it and in Jesus. Now, I know that Werner should tell his story, and I did ask Werner if I could share a bit this morning, so there was permission. I might be making assumptions, and I might be making him the saint that he's not. None of us are. But it seemed as if who he was and how he lived, while formed by his experience, was determined by Jesus in a community of faith. Or maybe that his experiences were lived and understood through the lens of Jesus. The meaning of life, not only death, was found in Jesus, whom he lived with and for. He needed Jesus in death, but he seemed to need Jesus even more in life. It wasn't religion. It was all God's activity. So maybe the new world that God is making will make one, will make, is one in which we will all live well, or that world is not made by sometimes vague and ungrounded ideas such as peace or compassion or love or kindness or living well. You can find any of those words on a card and hallmark in any drugstore. Maybe it's made when those who are found and grounded in someone whom we, on the road, we involved with God in making that world, that new world, continually see and meet so that we will know who and how to be. Maybe we, like Saul, need to be called by someone, not something, so that in the long, long, long run, we will remain faithful to creating the something that God is creating. In part, because the long, long, long run is not always easy to discern nor follow. It's too easy to say no, too easy to get bored with an idea or a project or religion after all. Much more difficult to do so when it's someone, a Lord, that we're in relationship with. Someone, a Lord, who loves us and all things and all people. Someone, 
a Lord who calls us all to be in relationship with everything in ways which will be part of bringing God's new world into being, giving life the meaning and power that we're likely looking for. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Amen. God calls to us, what will our answer be? Number 545 in the hymnal, Here I Am, Lord. Please stand.
for the benediction. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And the knowledge of God flow from your heart. That all might see and seeing believe. Go in peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.